Retirement Blues Goodbye, along Wainwright's Coast to Coast Path, a book by Richard Cowley. Chapter 3, Episode 1 A quote relevant to the chapter from Pablo Picasso, 1881 to 1973. He can who thinks he can, and can't who thinks he can't. This is an inexorable and indisputable law. Ennerdale Bridge to Rothswaite. Fourteen and a half miles, seven hours walking. The luxury of drizzle on the face, followed by steaming hot coffee at the Black Sail YHA. Globalisation was alive and well in Ennerdale Bridge. Over breakfast I learned that our floozy in the jacuzzi landlady had done a runner from Eastern Europe some years earlier. Perhaps word of her frothy frolics had reached her homeland, where it had stimulated a flush of Polish plumbers to flood into the British Isles in a hope of keeping her pipework in a good state of repair. We'll take generations to lose cradle-to-grave communist mollycoddling, our smooth-skinned hostess volunteered, continuing. Capitalist blue sky, only way to sail! If this woman was an example of a cold turkey laissez-faire makeover, then her managerial style hinted at a deep-rooted respect for the militaristic discipline endemic in central planned societies, which may indeed be difficult to eradicate. I was taken aback by the bevy of people who emerged from every corner of the house to join us at the banquet-sized breakfast table. Most of the lodges were professional people contracted to work at Sellafield. It was ironic to think that many of our fellow diners would undergo varying degrees of identity screening and be sipping their first coffee inside a secure, barbed-wire-fenced compound before Peter and I had walked half a mile into the freedom of wide-open spaces. My retirement lifestyle was years removed from that of these workers who were still harnessed to the yoke of a nine-to-five routine. I drifted on a senior's plane, a parallel universe where time flies, but movement is at a leisurely pace, and being rushed is left to others. Whilst loading the car, I became intrigued by the avenue of wonderful flowers that beautified the front step of our knotty pine digs. In the morning breeze, the blooms moved with an uncanny stiffness. Then I realized the plant pots were real, the flowers fake. Outside the shepherd's arms, Peter and I posed for Colleen's album photograph before sallying forth with an open mind to whatever lay ahead. Ennerdale Bridge to Rothswaite is much the same distance as our first day's walk, however the terrain is very different. What lay ahead wasn't suburbia in the green belt, but untamed mountainous country made wrinkle-free during the last ice age. It was a grey, blustery morning, in which the trees soughed quietly through the low-swirling mist. Each draught of moist air imbued a flash of lucidity that refreshed my resolve to being there, living in the moment. I felt rejuvenated, strolling through the flatlands towards the mountainous Lake District. We were about to enter a magical place, which until then we had only known as a tangle of dense contour lines on an ordnance survey map. The shadowy oppression of a conifer plantation gave way to open marshy grassland and the magical grandeur of the mountains beyond. Naked rocks outcropped, showing through the hillside like the bones of the place, 
the inside that lent volume and support to the soft, rounded earth and its fragile network of life. Mother Nature was in a modest mood that morning. She'd raised her misty skirts, but not above the knee. Beneath the dense cloak of dark clouds, she kept their craggy fell-tops veiled in silver mist. No sign of blue sky would be seen this day. Looking north, off to our left, the dark movement of Ennerdale water was an eager conversation with the morning breeze. The conifer blue rise of Bowness Dot, yielding to the stark ruggedness of startling Dot, was occasionally glimpsed through rents in the ragged cloud high above. The ancient grandeur all around stirred neglected emotions that had been nurtured since time began. Ahead, beneath the sheer rock face of Craig Fell, a stony path clung to the lake edge. We took the path to Robin Hood's chair, a grassy promontory from which a sentinel could watch over the whole lake in safety. Beyond the lookout we entered an enchanting moss-cloaked wood of such fine and subtle charm that it may well have been the resting place for the spirits of ancient and noble trees. At the eastern end of the lake there are two paths to choose from. The northern red pike route addresses a 2,000-foot precipice before following the ridge along the peaks of High Style, High Craig and the Haystacks, which loom over Buttermere Lake to the north. The lower path follows the River Lizza along the valley floor, through the pine plantations towards the Black Sail YHA Hostel. The two paths join atop Savvy Knot besides the tumbling waters of Loft Beck. My luck was out that morning. The heavy blanket of cloud hung low over Red Pike, rendering the high trail too dangerous for inexperienced fell walkers. I had no desire to be remembered as a mountain rescue statistic, and so was content to use Peter as an excuse for not taking the high path. Perhaps wisely, Peter was none too keen on climbing the precipice to Red Pike, regardless of the weather conditions. In deference to our untested map-reading skills, we persisted in studying the guidebook at every slight deviation in the trail. It may have been the frequency with which we checked our directions, or perhaps we exuded a false air of confidence that attracted insecure trampers. Which one I can't say. The fact is, nearly every walker we met was both pleased and relieved to learn that they were still heading in the right direction. Occasionally, we walked along with fellow hikers, but soon broke off to give way to the addictive pull of solitude and silence. Amongst the navigational novices we met were two Dutch women whose lively sense of the ridiculous made them good company. For some strange reason, they were sharing a single enormous backpack. One was unencumbered to walk tall and straight-backed, whilst the other doubled over like a coalman, shouldering a hundredweight sack of nutty slack, staggered about trying to stay upright. With a little imagination, one could be forgiven for thinking they were a couple of light-fingered antique dealers, making an unconventional getaway with their swag after looting the silverware from a prosperous church along the way. The threat of heavy rain had been in the air all morning. Light squalls dashed forward in short, sharp flurries, then quickly retreated, as though unsure where to go next. The on-again, off-again showers allowed us to test our wet-weather gear without appearing to be overdressed. When eventually the rain came, the friendly hello of drizzle on the face, 
the joy of puddles underfoot, and the chilly tug of wind kept out, all played their part in feeding my childhood memory of being in the blustery outdoors, with large raindrops drumming on my sou'wester. All around the mist still hung low, obscuring the stark landscape in a vaporous shroud of damp murk, which dulled sound and blurred hard edges. In spite of the gloom, the first sight of the Black Sail YHA shone as brightly as a rescue beacon. The hostel is an isolated gunyah pressed low into the ground, which appeared to be constructed out of tar paper and dunnage, no doubt an eyesore to some and refuge to others. To Peter and me, the hut held the welcome promise of a rest and lunchtime refreshment. We were greeted as long-lost cousins returning in the dead of winter to a remote Irish pub on a Saturday night. Outside, deserted, damp and bleak. Inside, heaving, steamy conviviality. The hut was crowded with an international company of hikers recharging their batteries before attempting the first challenging ascent, the Savvy Knot Precipice. Climbing the 700-feet rocky crag of Savvy Knot is no mountaineering feat. There is no cliff face to climb, no overhang to dangle from, and no need to scramble across dangerous scree slopes. It's merely an exhausting grind up a steep rocky path that demands a measured step to avoid grazing a knee or twisting an ankle. Generally speaking, the climb doesn't represent a serious challenge to most active people. The aged were well represented that day, and they appeared to be as sprightly as Peter and me who by comparison were mere novices within the swelling ranks of the grey movement. It's likely that the precipice could prove an impossible barrier to those with an overwhelming fear of heights. My sister, for example, would either refuse the ascent and have to turn back to Ennerdale Bridge, or freeze part way up the climb to remain clinging to the rock face until sedated and borne to safety by a mountain rescue team. For this reason, Savvy Knot Precipice could be aptly renamed Heartbreak Hill, for it may prevent some trekkers completing this section of the coast-to-coast path. Even though most walkers set off shortly after breakfast, a natural separation had occurred that allowed for a high degree of blissful solitude. The Dutch women, even with their huge load, moved along at a comfortable three miles an hour, leaving us behind to admire their rhythmic advance. Peter and I ambled along at about two miles an hour, a modest pace we maintained consistently throughout the whole trip. At the other extreme, the Cumbrian mother and daughter galloped along at a racy four miles an hour, leaving all in their wake. Although small, the variation in pace results in hikers being spread out over miles of countryside. Stopping for refreshments at the YHA hut allowed desperate parties of hikers to congregate for the first time. As each group set off to climb Savvy Knot, they extended the thin line of brightly coloured winchy-clad figures which stretched high up the drab and daunting rock slope. By the time we reached the top of Savvy Knot, the sky had brightened and the gloom had lifted slightly. A ragged ceiling of cloud hung close and dark overhead. All about exhausted climbers lay scattered on the marshy yellow ground, recovering from their exertion. The mob soon recovered and formed a staggering group along the slopes beneath the peaks of Brandy Reth and Grey Knots. Ahead, the marshland stretched across to Fleetwood Pike before abruptly falling away to Buttermere, the narrow lake fifteen hundred feet below. 
Soon Peter and I were once again alone, with only the wind, weather, and desolate landscape for company. On mountain tops, the gods loved to tantalize and tease mere mortals. Whilst enjoying the blissful solitude, the heavens closed in to say hello. In a moment, we were concealed in a cocoon of thick mist that was so brilliantly white, the reflected light dazzled, curtailing visibility. Walking through fog on familiar Manx paths brought with it a privileged intimacy with nature that was at once both thrilling and unnerving. The atrocious visibility on the unfamiliar moorland of Savvy Knot inspired no such feelings, just a tingling fear of the unknown and unseen. Even though the path was clear beneath my feet, and I could hear from nearby the comforting sound of stifled voices, I still felt very small and recognised the ever-present danger and misfortune that can befall the unwary on mountain tops. In an instant, the mist lifted to hang ominously a hundred feet overhead. Below, our relief was as clear as the bright sunshine on the distant horizon. The retreating murk amplified the alien crash and grinding thunder of heavy machinery scraping fractured rock that echoed across the valley. To the north, beyond Fleetwith Pike, the hillside was being ripped open in a hard rock quarry, leaving a jagged scar across the mountainside. In the dismal half-light, the quarry hardly seemed out of place. Through the damp, frosted air, the black fractured rock merged harmoniously with the peat-bog tones of the sodden fells. Apparently, even the Lake District National Park mountainsides are not immune from mankind's enterprise and need.